Welcome to the Woodridge Baptist Church Podcast. For more information about what's happening in the life of our church, visit our website at www.woodridge.org. Enjoy the podcast. Uh, This morning I'm inviting you to turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 3. And we're going to be taking a look at the first four verses. I'm going to begin in a little bit of a different way. Um, You know, if if you look in Scripture... It's interesting, you know, we're, we're looking at Paul who wrote a letter to a church that was in Corinth, trying to offer them some wisdom and some insight. I mean, after all, they reached out to him and they're like, we got problems here. Probably every church in the world could send a letter to somebody and say, hey, could you help us out? We got problems here. Corinth was no different. They were fighting with each other. They were doctrinally divided. And so they reached out to the guy that started the church and they said, help us out. And he said, yeah, I'll do that. You know, but, but Paul actually wrote more than just Corinthians. He wrote about half of your New Testament, if you're opening it up. And you know, if you were to look at one of his last letters, uh, he wrote to Timothy. Timothy, who had become pastor at the church at Ephesus. And he said this. I mean, there's only one mention. When you talk about Timothy, there's only one mention of Lois and Eunice in the Bible. Talk about his grandmother and his mother. And in Paul's second letter to Timothy, he mentions the faithfulness of these women in raising Timothy with such a devout and fervent faith. Here's what he said. He said, I'm reminded of your sincere faith. Remember, writing this to Timothy. I'm reminded of your sincere faith, which first lived in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice, and I'm persuaded now lives in you also. Here you have one of the heroes of early Christendom, what's considered one of the greatest missionaries in the history of Christianity, namely Paul, writing to one of his young protégés saying, I sure am thankful for your grandma and your mama. Thankful for them. Because you wouldn't be the man that you are had they not been in your life. Timothy's godly upbringing is referenced, not explicitly, it's explicitly mentioned in 2 Timothy 1.5, but it's referenced again in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 14 and 15. And you gotta kinda get the weight of this because Paul, Paul is under arrest. He knows that he's about to die. He knows that. And he says, I've got one last shot to say something to somebody I've poured my life into. And he wants to say something about these ladies that poured their life into him. And here's what he said in verse, chapter three, verses 14 and 15. He said, you however continue in the things that you have learned and become convinced of, knowing from whom you have learned them. And that from childhood you have known the sacred writings which are able to give you the wisdom that leads to salvation through faith which is in Jesus Christ. He doesn't name them there, but Paul's mention from those who you learn probably refers to his grandmother and his mother. Never underestimate what you're doing, mothers, is what I'm trying to tell you on the front end. Never, ever underestimate it. The investment is worth it and the Lord knows the return that we're going to see from it. Never underestimate it. The other thing that I would hope is that one day, I mean, I'm not gonna be like Paul, right? He's gonna be remembered, I will be forgotten, and that is totally fine. That doesn't bother me a bit. But what I would hope is that, you know, I become an old man one day, and I was able to write a letter to somebody that's a young protege of mine, and say, never forget the impact that your grandmother and your mother had on your life, you wouldn't be the man that you are without them, just like he was. It's a word of encouragement on the front end here before we take a look at what's happening in the church at Corinth. 
to not grow weary in doing good, like Paul said in Galatians chapter 6, verse 9. And for those of you that are parents, there are times that are wearisome, right? Moms, it's wearisome. Am I right? Am I right? You can say it out loud. It's okay. You can look at your kids and go, you're making me tired over here. It's all right. It's all right. Hold all that in mind while we look in 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Here's what's going on. I want to say this on a front end. We are more dualistic in our thinking than we want to admit. Here's what I mean by dualistic. Don't make it harder, don't make it harder than it sounds. We compartmentalize our lives into things, into categories, right? We're dualistic. Um, so let me give you an example. Uh, the way that we typically split it, even, even Christians, is we have this secular part of our life. I'm putting it in quotes. We have this secular part of our life, and then we have this spiritual part of our life. So for example, you say, well, I'm going to go to work or I'm, I'm gonna go to sleep, or I'm gonna spend time with my wife, I'm gonna spend time with my kids, I'm gonna go play golf, I'm, I'm gonna, all right, pick your hobby now, right? I'm not gonna do that all day, but I'm, I'm gonna go do that. Uh, ooh, I'm gonna, go, I'm gonna go eat. And we typically see those things, honestly, we see those things as just things that we do. We don't usually consider those things to be deeply spiritual, it's just kind of stuff that we're doing. And then, when I'm finished with those things, I'm gonna to go to church because that's where I can actually meet up with God. Do you get what I'm saying when I talk about we're more dualistic than we would probably want to admit? Is this making sense? Even as people who believe in Jesus, we typically split our experiences out into one of two categories. Paul's gonna give a challenge to that today. He's gonna to say, no, I want you to see everything that you do as something that is spiritual. The problem, if we make this kind of split in our life, is that almost 100% of your life, by definition, is secular. Have you ever thought about that? If you really pull those categories out like that, almost 100% of your life is actually secular. And Paul says, we gotta rethink this, gang, because it seems the Corinthians were buying into that way of thinking. See, previously what Paul did is he said, I'm gonna talk about two kinds of people. You know that, that phrase, there are two kinds of people in the world. You know what I'm talking about? There are two kinds of people in the world. Well, before he talked about those that were Christians, he talked about those who were spiritual people. And then he says, those that are not Christians, and he called those natural people. Now he's going to compare two kinds of Christians, those that are controlled by the Spirit and those who are not. There are two kinds of people in the world, those that are controlled by the Spirit and those that are not. Now with that in mind, let's take a look at chapter three, verses one through four. Because he says, for my part, brothers and sisters, I was not able to speak to you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh, as babies in Christ. I gave you milk to drink, not solid food, since you were not ready for it. In fact, you're still not ready because you're still worldly. Now, remember, he's writing this to the church. For since there's envy and strife among you, are you not worldly and behaving like mere humans? For whenever someone says, I belong to Paul, and another, I belong to Apollos, are you not acting like mere humans? He's giving a little bit of a rebuke today. Is that fair to this church? He's like, I got something to say to you. And if you look at it, I wasn't able to speak to you as spiritual people. Kind of a weird thing to say to Christians, don't you think? You would think that Christians are the ones you speak to as spiritual people. He goes, I can't even do that. And the reason that he says I can't do that is because... They were fleshly. It, it, doesn't, it doesn't mean that the Holy Spirit isn't in them. 
I mean, when you, when you receive Christ, the Holy Spirit indwells you. The same Paul says he seals you for the day of redemption. The Holy Spirit is there. It's just that the Spirit isn't in charge of anything at all. Uh, it, it would be like having parents in your home and you not listening to them. It's not that they're not in the home. It's that you're acting like they're not in charge. That's what Paul's basically trying to say. He says, at the beginning of this, I gave you milk. All right, it's Mother's Day. How many of you can remember something like that? Holding the baby and giving the baby milk. Can you remember that? By the way, at that time, that's what the baby needed, right? The baby needed milk. That's a good thing. But here's what he says. I didn't give you solid food because you weren't ready for it. Now, he was with them for a year and a half. He goes, you weren't ready for it, even at the end of a year and a half. Now I'm writing you a letter. You're still not ready for more. You're still not ready. Paul is a little frustrated. This would be like coaching a baseball team, and at the end of the season, you didn't see any progress in the team than what you saw at the beginning. At the end, as a coach, you're probably like, I'm getting a little frustrated here. I was hoping that we could see a little bit more, like the pitcher actually throws it over the plate or something. It's a moment like that, but spiritually speaking. Are you with me yet? I was thinking about this. See, when he says, your system can't handle meat, I remember my grandfather, you know, he fought in World War II. He was in Patton's 3rd Infantry. He fought in the Battle of the Bulge. Now, I, I don't know if you know, we know death camps were throughout Europe, and we typically have kind of the popular ones that we think about. But friends, there were thousands of death camps over Europe. Many of them were much smaller than Dachau and Sobibor and so forth. And I remember him talking to me. This is when he was in his 90s. Uh, he had broken a part of his leg. I went up to, to see him. And he usually didn't talk about these things, honestly. He was pretty quiet about it. But I remember sitting in the hospital room with him, and he started talking about it, just kind of out of nowhere. He started talking about some experiences that he had in the war. And he told me, he said, yeah, there was this, this one camp uh, that we were miles away from this thing, and we could smell it. And we're like, something is not right. We, he's like, we didn't know what it was. Anyway, a long story short, they, they liberate this one small uh, death camp. He said, but here's what was interesting. He said, when, uh, when Jews were, were walking out, he said, they had been so neglected in nutrition that their skin was translucent. And you could literally almost see through them and see their entrails working. Some of the American soldiers were like, we need to feed these people right now. And he said, I told them, don't. Don't. You'll, you'll kill them. Their body can't handle it. You, you actually have to nurse them back into nutrition. They've been deprived of it for so long. Spiritually speaking, this is what Paul is trying to say. Some of us have been so, so deprived of spiritual nutrition that if meat was to hit your system, you wouldn't know what to do with it. And he says, we've been going at this for a while, and gang, it's time to mature in the way of Jesus. There's another example. Let me give you on the front side. I was remembering my, my second daughter is Kaylee. And Kaylee got to a point, she was about five or so months old. Um, and she was a little bit of a cranky kid. You know, so we would give her milk. And how many of you actually ended up putting the cereal in the milk? Because like the milk wasn't getting it done anymore, right? I'm going on the other side of the story now, okay? The, so you start putting the cereal in, in the milk and kind of shake it up. And they're like, here you go. That's going to fill the old belly a little bit better because the milk isn't getting it done, right? That didn't work. This kid was hungry. And so 
Wendy was gone, and I was there with, uh, with Avery and Kaylee. Like I said, five months, not a tooth in that kid's head, not one tooth in her head. I was making steak. <laughs> I, I'm reporting now. I'm not recommending, okay? You're like, this kid is, she's hungry. That's what's going on over here. So I'm making steak, and I, I actually cut it up very fine. I know you're worried. She's alive. She's fine. So I start cutting it up like really fine. I'm like, I, I want to fill this kid's belly up because I want to sleep tonight, all right? And so I shave it up, and I start putting it over. That kid ate half of my steak. She was five months old. Best night of sleep we had had in forever. Here's the, all right, so I'll give you two examples here so that I can help make a really important point. Feed your five-month-old steak. I'm kidding. She was ready for more. She was ready for more. And so I, unwisely in this case, I gave her more. I gave her more. Spiritually can ask this question, where are you at? Are you ready for more? I mean, here's the reason that they weren't ready for it, and Paul flat out says it. He says it's because you're still worldly. Or if you were to look in verse 3, he says you're people of the flesh. Now, I know you're wondering what that means. I'm going to tell you what it means. It means that you are completely controlled by your basic bodily desires. You are completely controlled by your basic cravings. You are completely controlled by your urges, and you are completely controlled by your instincts. It's the part of you that, by the way, is bent toward what is wrong. He says, and you, this is the church, you are bent toward that. Here's one scholar said it like this. It's like Paul looking at him and going, you're living the wrong way. You're living the wrong way. Notice what Paul says is worldly. It isn't that people only attend church once a month. He didn't mention that here. It's that it's the people that are in the church. He even gives a description of them. He says, you're zealous. The word is zeal. By your translation, say you're jealous of each other. It says you're zealous. You're energetic about this stuff. And what you're energetic about is fighting with each other. That's where you're directing your energy toward. You know, this has got to stop. And the way that it stops is by becoming a spiritual people again, not indwelled by the Holy Spirit, but filled with the Holy Spirit. Not pushing the work of the Holy Spirit down in your life. Look at it like this. If you were to read the Apostles' Creed, it says I believe in a lot of things, but one of the things that it says is I believe in the Holy Spirit. I believe in the Holy Spirit. Has anybody in here ever recast any of your jewelry? You know what I mean? So you take some of the old jewelry and you go, ah, it's time to make something new out of it. Have you thought about that? I mean, if you have gold jewelry that you don't wear any longer, you could take it to a jeweler and you could ask the jeweler to recast it into a piece of jewelry. What's the first step in the process? And the answer is the jeweler melts down the old jewelry, melts down the gold. He can't recast it in a new form until he melts it down. One of the things that would be good for the church to pray is God melt me down. Uh, you take what is old, melt it down, and reform it into something that is new and good. I mean, before the Spirit can mold me into someone new, He's got to melt me first. He has to take me apart so that He can put me back together as a new man or woman, depending. We see this in John chapter 16, verse 8. It says, when He comes, talking about the Holy Spirit, when He comes, He will convict the world of guilt in regard to sin and righteousness and judgment. And that's good. It's good. 
You think of all those teaching moments of your parents where they're trying to instruct you in a better way for your good. It's not a matter of is there wisdom in what they're saying. It's will you receive the wisdom that you've been given. It's a first good prayer is that the Holy Spirit would break you down. When's the last time you prayed something like that? And then the second thing that you follow it up with is not just to break you down. That's not enough. Is that you would pray that the Holy Spirit would fill you up. That the Holy Spirit would fill you up. So, so when I pray, fill me Holy Spirit, I'm inviting the Holy Spirit to fill, to empower, to take lead, to take charge. Not what these folks were doing, but to take charge. What does it mean to be filled with the Holy Spirit? I, I started thinking about that. Well, what do we mean when we say that somebody is full of something? I'll wait. I'll wait. Here's what we mean. It's probably not what you just thought. Here's what we mean. We mean that, that, that this is what that person is characterized by, defined by. It's what's obvious when you're around the person. It's actually what it means. Let me give you a couple of examples. He is so full of himself. You ever said that before? The most obvious thing about him in that case is his pride and his self-centeredness. And it's on display, by the way. He's full of himself. Here's one. She is full of joy. The most obvious thing that you experience when you're around whoever she is, is joy. And we even start to define her by that because it is so a part of the experience of being around her. He is full of baloney. They like sandwiches, right? You get the point. You get the point. To be filled with the Holy Spirit means that the Holy Spirit is obvious in you. It's what it means. The Spirit is present and active and obvious. God's presence and power define you as a person. People think of you and they think of God because you are filled with God. That's what it means. Let me give you another example. Have you ever, have you ever done something like fill a person's glass all the way to the very top? Have you ever done that before just to mess with them? Am I the only one that's done this? I'm getting a couple head shakes, yes. Well, let me give you a recommendation. So you fill the glass literally all the way to the top, and when they start to move it, what happens? Right? And you're like, oh, so it spills. Imagine trying to walk around in a crowded room with a glass that's full to the absolute top. What will happen? Somebody's going to get wet, right? I mean, somebody is going to get wet. Somebody is going to get splashed. Well, here's the reason I give this example is because God wants to fill you with his Holy Spirit so that everyone who bumps into you gets splashed. That's the why. Paul says this in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 18. He says, do not get drunk on wine, which, lead, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, he gives this example for a reason because that church liked to drink, right? He's like, all right, drinkers, I'll give you an example. When, when you go to the bottle, what you're doing is basically consenting to the effects of what's in the bottle when you pour it into yourself. Consume enough of it, it alters the way that you feel, it alters the way that you think, it alters the kinds of decisions that you will make. It will. It lowers your inhibitions. Here's basically what you said. I am giving myself over to the effects of this beverage so that it can change me for what it does. Here's what Paul says. 
Don't do that. Instead, be filled with the Spirit, which is another way of saying, I give myself over to you so that you can then have control with what you desire and the thoughts that you have. That's why he gives the example. And the result, he says, you see in, in, in Ephesians 3, 16 and 19, he says, I would pray out of his glorious riches that he would strengthen you with power through his spirit and your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you being rooted and established in love may have power together with all the saints to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. Like you actually start to get it. You experience it. And here's the way he ends it. He says, and to know the, this love that surpasses all knowledge. You, couldn't have, you would have never thought it had God not come to you with it. He says that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. That you may be filled. Paul prays that we would be filled with God. How full? How full, everybody? I just told you. To the measure of the fullness of God. All right, so imagine for a second that I've got a pitcher and I've got a glass. Are y'all with me now? I've got a pitcher and I've got a glass. Um, if the glass is me and the pitcher represents God, I am full of God when the water reaches the brim of my glass. Y'all tracking with me so far? I am, I am full to the measure of me, is basically what I'm saying. Here's the question. What would it look like to be full to the measure of the fullness of God? Because that's what he actually said. And what it would mean is that getting all of this water, if I pour it from a pitcher into the glass, I'm going to need a bigger glass. Because there's always more of God when I reach the limits of me. But there are no limits to Him and what He can pour. Something I want you to remember this morning. This is, this is the promise in Scripture that comes with a Spirit-filled life. And, and I hope that you're willing to absorb this and take it in. In 1 John chapter 3, verse 24, it says, we know, we know by this that he abides in us, by the spirit whom he has given us. What do we know? Here's what we know. A couple of things. One, we all live in the flesh. We do. We just got to own it. So we're going to struggle with the desires of the flesh until we get to heaven. It's just the way that it's going to work. And all, all of you out there are going, yep. And how often? Every day. Every day you're probably going to struggle with the desires of the flesh. But Paul gave this word in Galatians 5.16. He said, walk by the Spirit and you will not carry out the desires of the flesh. Notice what Paul didn't say. He didn't say you won't have the desires of the flesh when you walk in the Spirit. He says you won't carry out the desires of the flesh when you walk in the Spirit. Walking in the Spirit is similar to being filled with the Holy Spirit. That's first. So if you're giving over to the flesh, it is because you are not walking in the Spirit, is what Paul is trying to say. You're filling yourself up with something, but the question is, is what is it? Not, is it happening? It's happening. So that's first. Second, he says, walk. Walk in the Spirit. How many of you have taken a walk this week? How many of you got out there in the already summer-like heat? Are you kidding me? By the way, it's going to be like 98 this week. I was like, what? It's too early for this. So we're praying together as a body for a cool front. <laughs> I'm kidding. Have you thought about walking? Walking implies that the Spirit is going somewhere. The Spirit is going somewhere. There's a destination. He always goes to the same place. And the answer is the Spirit takes you to the glory of God. 
He always goes to the same place. In contrast, the flesh is always moving to what will please itself. Walking is continuous. It's not are you walking? You are. It's where are you walking? Like, like the filling of the Holy Spirit, our walk in the Spirit is ongoing, and so your dedication has to be ongoing. To walk is step after step, not standing still. He says you keep walking. And the third thing that it reminds us of is we're dependent in the whole thing for all of this. For every last bit of it, we're dependent. The key to walking in the Spirit is to look to the Spirit to give you every resource that you need for the journey. That's why Paul says he empowers you for this. He strengthens you for this. There's a challenge today. And I'm I'm giving a challenge this morning first to believers. Jesus didn't just say, believe in me. He did say that. He said, follow me. He also said that. Follow me. In this letter to the church at Corinth, Here's here's what Paul said. He said, some of you like to consider yourself wise and mature, and you're not. You have a tremendous amount of knowledge, and you have no life. The mature person is the one that walks in the way of Jesus. That's maturity. That's it. And so the challenge that I want to give is this, and I go from Acts chapter 3, verses 19 and 20, something that we don't talk about enough, I think, But Scripture sure does. It says, now repent of your sins and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped away. Then times of refreshment will come from the presence of the Lord and He will again send you Jesus, your appointed Messiah. Did you catch that? To repent. It means to change your mind. It means to change your direction specifically to turn away from sin, turn to God. You will never find it in Scripture. You simply cannot become a Christian without repenting. You can't. Repent and believe. You can't keep going your own way and follow Jesus. You can't. It won't work. And you can't live like a Christian without a lifestyle of repentance. You can't. It won't work. Just like like steering a car requires constant adjustments. Following Jesus requires the same. So whenever I'm aware that I'm off, I adjust back to Jesus. I I turn, I turn. And the good news in all of this, and you saw this in Acts chapter three, is that when I do it, here's what it said, times of refreshment come from the Lord. It's there. By the way, the Greek word for refreshment meant Relief from obligation, relief from trouble, rest, breathing space. You can breathe again. That's beautiful. Repentance produces rest, relief, and breathing back in your lungs again. That's a good thing. Uh, You ever heard the phrase, the only constant thing is change? You ever heard that? Well, there's a lot of truth to that. Some change is good and necessary. And that's why I'm giving the challenge to you today. I, you know, I wish, well, I don't wish. If there was a machine that I could look into your soul, <laughs> I wouldn't look, to be honest with you. <laughs> I wouldn't. Don't want to know. I'm asking you this morning to look in yourself. 
and accept the challenge that the Apostle Paul laid out for his church, both at Corinth and in Kingwood. And let's give ourselves over to the Holy Spirit. Maybe it's time to be filled with something new. We hope you have enjoyed the podcast. For more information about our church, visit www.woodridge.org.